0: I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in our awkward series, and sometimes things they can get a little awkward. Over the last four weeks, well, this is the fourth week, so the last three weeks. In the first week, we talked about blind Bartimaeus and, and his faith, and how he yelled out, he was like, "Jesus, heal me!" and the and the disciples were like, "Shh," trying to shush him, and it was awkward for a lot of people. And sometimes, as Christians in our faith, we need to be awkward and we need to call out out loud to Jesus, be unashamed about. Our desire for him in our lives and the things that, that he's calling us to, and not worry about what the world is thinking, like Bartimaeus, where he just completely, unashamedly, absolutely awkwardly just called out to Jesus, knowing that he was going to be able to save him from his condition. And what did Jesus do? He saved him. The second week, we talked about the woman, she was a prostitute, and she comes into the home of this, this, this powerful man, and she sits at Jesus' feet, and she weeps, and she washes his feet with her tears. This is extremely awkward. Culturally, it's awkward. Culturally, it's uncomfortable. This was her act of worship. And we just finished worship. And for some of us, worship might be like this. And, I, and I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. This, this might be your posture, what you're comfortable, comfortable with. For some of us, it's like this. You pick it. But there might be others in the room who, who all of this worship portion of our service is uncomfortable and worship in our lives is uncomfortable. And, and so when you see somebody raising their hands or singing out loud and you're thinking, that guy's voice is awful. Why is he singing? Because he loves Jesus. Because he knows what it means to be a worshiper. Isaiah's pointing at Shane. I wonder if, I've never heard Shane sing. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll, I'll have to listen a little closer next time. So, and last week, we talked about uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And, and awkward evangelism, Jesus goes to this well and he starts conversing with this woman. And, and this woman is, they, they don't converse with Jews, they don't socialize. And, and he starts telling her all about her life, and he has these words of knowledge for her, and she runs back to Samaria, and she tells these, the, the people in Samaria, look what, this man, he's a prophet, I know that, but he told me all of the things that I've been doing, and all of the, all of the, the sin that I've been living in, and, and, and he wants to share with us about, about who he is, and, and, and this living water that he wants to give us. Sometimes we find ourselves as Christians in a position to share our faith with somebody, and we don't want to do it because it's awkward or it's uncomfortable. And this week, we get to talk about, I think, probably the most awkward and the most controversial thing in the church, and that is spiritual gifts. So, this can get really awkward and it can get really uncomfortable because we're speaking for the Lord and we're trusting that what He's saying to us and what we're sharing with the church or with an individual is from God. And when you go to somebody and you tell them, hey, I, I have a sense that the Lord wants to share something with you. Can I share it with you? Sometimes you get people who are like, yes, please share it. Other times you get people who are like, whoa, where, where am I? Like, this is, this is uncomfortable. And the person sharing is uncomfortable because they're like, man, what if I get it wrong? What if I, all these millions of thoughts that run through your head when you're going to try and share something with somebody that you feel like the Lord gave to you. Or, or even publicly, like James felt like he had a word from the Lord about, peace and, and, and about resting and being still. That's hard. That's hard for the person who feels like the Lord gave them something, and then they have to muster up the strength to say, man, I feel, like, I feel like the Lord wants me to share this. How many people are in here? 75 people? I don't want to stand in front of 75 people. There's all these emotions that we go through, and it gets really uncomfortable. I had this dream uh, early on when we first started Southlands Chino, and I was at Papa Chino's and there was a bunch of us there, and I saw an older gentleman and his wife and, and a woman uh, who I thought was their daughter. She had blonde hair. She looked a lot like the wife. And in the dream, there, there was this conflict between the mom and the daughter. And we go to, let's do lunch, and we sit down, and lo and behold, they're sitting right next to us. And I'm like, Steph... I had a dream about this. I had a dream that, I, I, I don't know these people, from anybody, and, and I'm looking at them I'm going, I, I, I had a dream that, that, that this was going on. There was strife between the mom and the daughter, and, and Steph's like, bye. <laughs> oh, now I have to go share with them. So I get up, I walk over to this table, super uncomfortable, and I'm like, hey, so I'm a Christian, and I had a dream about you guys. And they're like, okay. Tie icing on the cake. The guy, the, the dad, he's a pastor at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. And he tells me, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. I'm like, awesome. This just got way better. <laughs> and, he says, and he says, what was the dream? I'm like, oh, man. So I tell him the dream. Turns out the daughter is the daughter-in-law. And, and the husband, uh, who's their son, the pastor and the wife's son, can't be there because he's working. So I'm sharing this dream, and I'm like, yeah, I saw you guys. You were conversing. You were In the dream, I, I had assumed that you guys were husband and wife, and, and you're the daughter, and so they clarify for me. I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. And then, and I said, well, here comes the hard part. <laughs> you know, I said, in the dream, You you two had some conflict. Now it's not a a mother and daughter; it's a mother and a daughter-in-law. So that makes it even more interesting. And so, and and the wife's like, "No, we're good, right?" (laughs) And the daughter-in-law's like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "Oh man, God, why would you do this?" You know. But the the interesting thing is, I I can imagine the daughter-in-law going home. And, and, and her husband gets off work and he comes in the door and she's like, I totally got outed at Pappuccino's by some guy who we don't know who had a dream about us and now I have to resolve this conflict with your mother. I don't know if that's what happened. In my mind, I think that's what happened. The look on her face told me there's unresolved conflict here and now I'm gonna have to address it. But that's like super uncomfortable and super awkward. And, I, and I, Thanks to my wife, bye. I ended up walking over there and, and sharing this dream with them, and, and I said, oh, and, and since the wife was like, no, we're good, and the daughter-in-law was like, no, we're good. I'm like, can I pray for you guys? and They're like, yeah, absolutely. So I prayed, and I left them to their day. <laughs> so this morning, we're going to be talking about how these gifts work out from person to person. We're going to talk about how these gifts work out in a corporate context like we see sometimes on a Sunday morning, and a lot of times they do get awkward especially with the gifts. Evangelism, it's like this, this more clear thing, I think, that, that, that we know we're called to. Uh, worship, we do it every Sunday. It's a little more natural. It's a little more organic. We, we find ourselves at concerts simply raising our hands and singing all the songs that we know. And so we're kind of, in our, in our hearts, we're like, oh, worship, it's, 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 it's easier. Faith, Like calling out to Jesus, maybe in a public context, uh, or or, or I'm I'm sorry, in a corporate context, it's so much easier and it seems a little more acceptable. As soon as somebody stands up and says, I have a word from the Lord, everybody kind of goes, whoa, okay. Even in the church, this is about to get really awkward. Our passage this morning is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 24. If you guys have your Bibles and you want to turn there, go for it. If you do not... It'll be on the screen behind me, and I'm reading out of the ESV. And it says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Heavenly Father, as we look at these gifts and we look at how awkward and uncomfortable they can be, I pray that one, your spirit would come and would speak through me. That you would give me the ability to say what it is that you want to say to your church this morning that I would set aside myself, that I would decrease so you can increase. And Lord, for for those who are here listening, I pray for every person where they're at, whether they're comfortable with these gifts or they're uncomfortable, whether they believe in them or not, that you would open their eyes, that you would open their hearts, and that you would open their ears, and you would have your way this morning, and that you would get all honor and all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we dig into the text and, and, and look at that, I want to give you guys some clear definitions. This is going to be a little bit more of, uh, of teaching than it is preaching, but I want to give you guys some clear definitions of, of these gifts, and we find them in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12 and verses 1 through 11. There's seven of them, and I'm literally going to list them out one by one, and there's going to be a little bit of a definition on the screen, and I'll try to expound on them just a little bit so that we've got some handles to work with. Sound good? Prophecy, number one, it means to speak forth, to declare the do- divine will, to impur- interpret the purposes of God, or to make known in any way the truth of God, which is designed to in- influence people. It's not predicting the future. It sounds that way. It can foretell a little bit. There can be elements of that. A better way to say it is that it is foretelling. What it's doing is it's declaring the, wi- the, the, the will of God, the direction that we ought to go in, not necessarily the direction that we will go in, or what's going to happen, and that can happen when we follow the will of God, oftentimes it would, be, it would appear to be some sort of foretelling. But that's not exactly what prophecy is. Prophecy is more about forthtelling. The prophets in the Old Testament would declare the will of God, and it became scripture. And in the New Testament, when prophecy came, it was a foretelling of what God wanted to do And if we went in the direction that God wanted us to go, oftentimes the things that God had proclaimed with regards to that direction would be fulfilled. So it does kind of get messy, and you kind of go, okay, this is foretelling. This person is telling me the future. No, not necessarily. This person is telling you the will of God through a prophetic word. I had a dream, another dream, (laughs) in uh, September of 2014. We'd just gotten back from Tennessee, and I don't know if you guys know who Daniel and Marsha you are, but they planted the church in Thailand called One Light. I didn't know them at this time. And I had this dream about an older white woman, and she was in a house, and she was in a house with a bunch of young Asian men and women, and she was teaching them, and she was discipling them, and she was leading them. And then all of a sudden, she was gone. And, and these young men and women were wandering in the house somewhat aimlessly, And they were looking for her, and they couldn't find her. And I realized they were looking for someone else to lead them. And I'm like, I wake up, and I I could feel it in my heart and in my soul. I was like, that was a God dream. I don't know what that dream means. So I sent it to Alan over at Brea, and he had read the dream, and he forwarded it on to Daniel because Daniel and Marsha were considering planting a church in Thailand. And so he thought it might be about that. So a couple days later, I end up meeting with Daniel. I share this dream with him. He asks me what I think it means, and, and I give him some, some, some ideas as to what I think it means and tell him I'll keep praying about it. Turns out I, I, I get some more clarification for this dream, so I write another document and I email it to him so he's got it for record. And I emailed Daniel this week and asked him, how did this play out on your end in Thailand? And I want to read you his response. He says, so the story around your dream regarding Julie, there's a woman named Julie that they met in Thailand. <clears throat> about two years ago, we moved to Thailand. I think, around short, I think around September 2014, shortly after you guys returned from Tennessee, Alan reached out and told me you had a, you'd received a prophetic dream about an older white woman who was in the house surrounded by young Asian people. She was leaving the house slash ministry, and the young people were sad you also mentioned that you believed that Marcia and I were supposed to replace this woman in the house, and you had written a separ- separate document about the nature of this woman and her ministry with those people. Shortly thereafter, Marcia and I took our second scouting trip to Myanmar and did not find anything even remotely related to your dream. The following year, we took our first trip to Thailand, and still nothing. Fast forward another year, and now we're living in Thailand, and by November 2016, we planted our church, and an older white lady is there with us for the very first Sunday, from the very first Sunday. As we get to know her, she informs me that God had spoken to her prophetically about us. She informs me that God—sorry—and she invites us to visit her at her ministry property. It turns out that her ministry is exactly like the ministry you described to me two years earlier. Then she asks whether we would be interested in taking over renting her property— as she had been asking God for a while and was now being released by God from her ministry. When she asked us this, I immediately remember my meeting with you and the dream you had described to me. So I asked her when she began praying for her release and it turns out it was exactly around the time that you and I had met about two years prior. Then I shared your dream and description. She became emotional and said, we couldn't have planned this in a million years. Fast forward to today, we're still on the property which we call the well, and it's been a huge blessing to us. We can't imagine having done what we've done so far without it. I also employ several of her former disciple employees, and two of the young men that she discipled are very important disciples of our church, whom we are currently trying to raise up as leaders and future church planners. TESOL certification—I'm sorry—Julie's ministry involved English language teaching, specifically TESOL certification, and we have worked with her to develop our own English language school. She is still a faithful member of our community as well. So we have literally stepped into her house, taking it over in terms of property, disciples, and English teaching. Such a cool God story. I share that because the odds of that are astronomical. I don't even know how many miles away Thailand is. I've never even been out of the country overseas in any way, shape, or form. So for this woman to be praying at the same time that I have this dream, for me not to know Daniel, meet Daniel, share all of this with Daniel, and all the events leading up to me receiving this email are nothing short of an act of God. So we can, we can say, this, this, this isn't possible. Those gifts were for back then. That's not the case. This is a testimony to God actively working alive and well in our, in our lives. The second gift is tongues. Tongues. And there are two types of tongues, a gift of tongues for the building up of the, of the church and a tongue between the person and God. This tongue edifies oneself, the personal tongue does. And this is the only gift in Scripture that's detailed out for the individual. I was filled with the Spirit at Southlands Brea years ago, and I remember them asking if for people to come to the front to be prayed for if they wanted that. And so Steph and I somewhat reluctantly stepped up. And they began to pray and my arms are out and I'm holding Steph's hand and I can feel my knees getting weak And and in my mind I'm going, I'm thinking there's 400 people behind me, I'm not going to, I refuse to fall to my knees, not gonna happen. They keep praying, I feel weaker and in my mind I am more aggressively saying, I will not fall to my knees, this is not going to happen. I get prayed for further, I get weaker. Eventually, I cannot stand, I fall to the ground and I immediately start wailing in tongues super awkward, super uncomfortable. It was like something out of a movie. Like I could see myself there and I'm on my knees and, 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 I'm, and I have no control of myself. The spirit inside me had, had taken me over. God's spirit inside me had given me the gift of tongues, a personal tongue that was edifying myself. And I was, I was, I was a wreck in the best way, absolute best way. A public tongue, a corporate tongue is one that comes with an interpreter and it's for the body and it's for the common good and the the edification of the church. Next, gift healing. Gifts of healing are supernatural enablements given to a believer to minister various kinds of healing and restoration to individuals through the power of the Holy Spirit. This one's pretty straightforward. We see it in scripture. We We saw it with blind Bartimaeus, a blind man who now recovers sight. We see it with the, the soldier who had his ear chopped off. Jesus puts his ear back. We see Jesus doing all kinds of different miracles through, through the Gospels. So we know what healing is more specifically. John Wimber, you guys know who he is. He's the leader or the, the passed on leader of the vineyard movement. And he shared a story that I I saw where he felt like God had said that he, he wanted him to pray for healing in his service. And so he prays, nothing happens. He prays, nothing happens. He prays, nothing happens. He's like, we do this for months. Every Sunday we pray and nobody's healed. He's like, then one random Sunday, I feel God say, keep praying for healing, keep praying for healing. He's like, I go up with no faith, none. I have nothing. I'm only doing this out of obedience at this point. And I lay hands on a person and I pray, and the person is healed. And John Wimber's like, I'm surprised. I I didn't expect that to happen. And then physical healing in that church just went wild. People were cured of all kinds of stuff, incurable stuff, cancer, diseases, sicknesses, broken bones, all kinds of different random things they were healed from. So we know healing is still active and alive and well. Miracles, I confuse these two, healing and miracles, because somebody being healed from cancer is a miracle. But it's detailed out as a different gift in Corinthians. So, Miracles are supernatural events that occur outside the bounds of what is natural. By definition, they are rare and out of the ordinary. A miracle is different from the gift of healing in this way. It's like bringing somebody back from the dead. It's like calling down fire from heaven like Elijah did to burn up soaked wood and an offering. It's impossible. And to bring somebody back from the dead, they don't need healing, they're dead. They need a miracle. They need somebody to come and say, get up, you're not dead. That's not healing. Totally different. We see miracles throughout scripture, just like the one I described with Elijah, where he calls down fire from heaven where Jesus tells raises people from the dead. These, these aren't healings. They're, they're separate moments. They're, they're, they're individual. A miracle can be seen in healing, but it's not exactly the same thing. Discernment. The Greek word for the gift of discernment is, I'm, I might botch this, so bear with me, Diakrisis, and the word, thank you, and the word describes being able to distinguish, discern, judge, or appraise a person, person, statement, situation, or environment. Steph, Jordan, and I were in Louisiana years ago, and we were in New Orleans, and we were wandering around the French Quarter, not late at night, you don't want to be there late at night, there's no wandering around necessary there at that point in time, and we're just checking out these shops, and we walk into this one shop, and Steph and I both immediately, whoa, something weird is going on in here, this is uncomfortable, and so the guy comes out from behind the corner, and and he's very goth, and I'm not saying that goth people, we need to be leery of them, but but he he was a very goth-looking gentleman, very like monotone, and both of us were like, we need to get out of here. And as you guys know, there's a lot of voodoo and black magic stuff that takes place in in that part of Louisiana, and when we walked in there, I think that's what we were pushing up against, and our spirits were discerning the the difficulty and and the, the negativity that was taking place in there, and so we stepped out, we walked away. A word, of knowledge. a word of knowledge is closely related to the gift of prophecy because it's a telling of something that you wouldn't have otherwise known unless the Spirit told you. Jordan was in Tennessee. We had just moved there. I think she was probably 11. How old was she? 11. She's in school, and she's about to start school. And, and she tells Steph, Mom, I think God just talked to me. And we're like, okay. I'm in California, so she tells me this story later, but she tells Steph, he, she, he told me that I was going to meet a girl named Haley. She was going to have brown hair. She was going to be in my class and she was going to be my best friend. And she didn't have any friends yet because we just moved in. And so Steph and I are like, oh God, you need to show up. This is a big deal. <laughs> and so, and so Steph, Jordan goes to school. Steph goes and picks her up and she's like super anxious. And Jordan gets in the car and she's like, I met Haley, brown hair in my class. And we're totally good friends already. How gracious and kind is God to give an 11-year-old a word of knowledge that brings her comfort, that brings her peace. And then to fulfill that? How faithful is God? It's unbelievable how kind He is. These gifts, they're real. And God wants to use them in our lives. A word of wisdom, time is flying. A word of wisdom, this gift has kind of a dual function. Some see it as having a prophetic-like function. Others see it as aiding in teaching. I see it working in both ways. It gives us the ability to, to speak biblical truth in such a way as to skillfully apply it to life situations with all discernment. It can be a directive word. Someone might be looking for a job and, and they're, they're trying to get wisdom as to which direction they go. And God comes in and gives a word of wisdom for somebody to give to that person. You need to go this direction. It also has that prophetic tone because what it's doing is it's saying, this is the will of the Lord. It's forth telling. So you walk into that, trusting that that was the will of the Lord. Lorelei's word, for those of you who were here last week, it was a word of wisdom. It was a particular understanding of the passage that God had placed on her heart, and she was able to articulate that to us, and it built us up as a body. It also had a prophetic element because it said, don't give in to the sin that you commit. Don't let that beat you down. Instead, continue to push forward and evangelize. That was God's will for us as a church. Don't let this thing hold you here captive. My will for you is to go out into the future and evangelize. So, it was a word of wisdom peppered with a bit of prophetic and direction. So, what's the problem with all of this? Our problem it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. We may have grown up in a church where they say, No, 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 that was for back then in scripture, it's not for now. So, we reject it. It's scary. We don't want to be wrong. We're proud, we're insecure. So we're afraid to stand up in front of people and say, I feel like the Lord wants to say this to everybody here in the church. Scary. Super scary. It is. I'm not minimizing that. I get super nervous when I feel like the Lord gives me a word for somebody and I I feel like I have to go share. Even personally, super hard. We don't want to be wrong, do we? Our friend Mike Pilavacci, he comes to the church every now and then and he ministers to us. And he says, man, go for it. Nobody dies. You're giving a word from the Lord. If you get it wrong, big deal. What happens if you get it right? Somebody gets ministered to. The Lord meets with somebody. Somebody can get saved. Would you rather be tight-lipped about it and throw the key away and not have that person be ministered to? I'd way rather be wrong. The difficulty about being wrong is as a community, we need to have grace for one another. Oftentimes, someone's been hurt by a prophetic word or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, and maybe that's why you want to reject it and push it away. I want to encourage you guys. Have grace for one another. Let's grow each other. Let's work these gifts out in a safe place because this is a safe place. We have an opportunity to grow spiritually in this way just as much as we do in the word of God. Paul says one more very critical thing in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse seven. And it says to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. What he's doing is he's saying that these gifts are for the church. They're for us. They're for the building up of the body collectively as a whole. Again, like Lorelai's word, that built up this church as a body in whole, not in part. So now we're going to jump back into the text in First Thessalonians, and we're going to read verses 5, 16 through 18. And it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The reality of this passage in the context of Thessalonica is Paul was talking to them about their corporate worship. He was talking about a service like this, and he was saying, in the context of your worship service, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. I want to be clear. He says give thanks in all circumstances. And he says this because in Thessalonica, some of the leaders in that city were giving the church a hard time. So he's encouraging them. He's saying, listen, I know you might be suffering a little bit of this trial right now, but be encouraged. Give thanks anyways. So what's the overflow of this? We see it on Sunday mornings when we worship When we rejoice, when we pray, what happens? God's spirit comes in and he speaks and he gives a word to James and he gives a word to Lorelai. He gives somebody (laughs) else a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. We see it almost every week, don't we? That's the fruit. That's the fruit of us worshiping together. That's the fruit of us rejoicing in Jesus and giving praise where praise is due. The Holy Spirit comes in and he starts to speak to us unbelievable. That in itself is a miracle. It's awesome. We get to participate with the Lord. He doesn't have to do this. He does this because he loves us, and he wants us to participate in the furthering of his gospel. 1 Thessalonians five nineteen through 22 says this, don't quench, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. What Paul is saying here is when God's Spirit breaks in, don't push it down. Don't snuff it out. This is for the person who's receiving a word from God to give to the church. I'm encouraging you, if you feel like you have something from the Lord, don't push it down until it goes away. Don't quench the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying to the church as a whole in Thessalonica. When the Spirit comes on you, listen attentively. Ask the Lord what He wants to do with that word. And then he says, don't despise prophecies. So this is for the church. So when the person musters up the awkward courage and strength to say, I have a word from the Lord that I think is for the church. Don't shut them out. Don't turn off. Listen, don't despise what the Lord is trying to say to this person. Potentially, it's important. It's really important. If you despise this thing, you may very well be shutting out the spirit of God who has something to say to you. Do any of you want to do that? I don't. I want to hear everything the Lord has to say. And the the key to this is he says, what does he say? He says, test everything. He says, test it. So it's safe for somebody to come up and say, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying. And we don't snuff it out when we're trying to, when we feel like the Lord is giving us something to say. We don't reject it when it's spoken. We test it. And we say, Lord, what what does your word say about this? We test everything through scripture. These gifts are an overflow from Jesus' death on the cross and his infilling of his Holy Spirit. And they're tested through scripture. Scripture is the ultimate authority. It stands above everything. If it's not in line with scripture, reject it. Push it away. A good example of this would be somebody saying, the Lord told me to leave my husband or my wife. Ooh. Nope, nope. That does not line up with scripture. That is not from the Lord. You need to reject that. You need to push that away. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Sounds like Paul is saying that prophecy is more important than any other gift. He's not. What he is saying is for each one of us to desire spiritual gifts. God has them for us. He wants us to utilize them for the advancement of his gospel, for the advancement of his story. So why wouldn't he say to eagerly desire prophecy? Because what it does is it foretells the will of God. So if all of us are prophesying in the name of the Lord, and we're genuinely hearing from him, and we're conveying those truths, we know which direction to go. So why wouldn't, he want, why wouldn't we want to eagerly desire this gift of prophecy? Because then we know which way to go. God is saying, go that way. Okay, no problem. Okay, now go that way. Okay, no problem. But if none of us are prophesying, that doesn't mean we won't know the will of the Lord, but We are are better equipped when people are prophesying to know which direction to go in Jesus' name. That's why he says, eagerly desire the gift of prophecy because then you will know which way God wants you to go and people will come to faith because of it. The theologian Gordon Fee translates this, this Thessalonian passage this way. He says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Man, I pray for God's Spirit to fall on me like fire all the time, literally all the time, almost daily. God, fall on me like fire. I want you to fill me with your spirit, and I want you to give me the ability to prophesy, not so I can look cool. It's awkward. Like the dreams I'm having, they're weird, and I have to share them with people, and I don't like doing it, but people, people get ministered to, and that's what God wants to do. He wants to minister to and love his people, and the overflow of that, again, is people get saved. It's unbelievable. It's such a gift to us. He says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Test them all. Hold fast to what is good and reject whatever is harmful. Church, I want to encourage you, as a giver of a word or as a church receiving a word, we need to know Scripture. We need to know it well. And the reason being is, you can't get up and stand in front of a church confidently knowing that this is a word from the Lord if you don't know Scripture. So you could potentially come up and say something harmful or hurtful and if you know the word and you know it well and God gives you a word, you go, no, I see that here in Scripture. Oh, no, that lines up, that lines up with, with what Jesus taught. Yeah, I can give that confidently. And as a hearer of that word and you, know, and you know Scripture well, yeah, no, that lines up. Yeah, that makes sense. I can hold on to that. I can hold fast to that. I don't have to reject it because it's truth. Paul lands this letter with a benediction to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. He says, your whole spirit and soul and body, that is all of who you are. That is every single bit of you kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Any and all of this is possible because of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and died a death that we deserve and was resurrected so that we could be forgiven of our sin, so that we would have access to God in heaven, and so that we could be co-heirs with him. And as believers of Jesus, he fills us with his spirit. We see it in Acts 2. He fills the disciples and they go out and they preach in tongues to other, believer, to other people who don't know Jesus in their native tongue and they get saved. It's unbelievable. And it's because of Jesus. It's because of his willingness to take our place. It says then we'll be sanctified. Sanctified is, a, is, a, is an ongoing process in our lives. It's something that continues until either Jesus returns or we go home to be with him. It says that we'll be kept blameless. This is so awesome. Because that word kept means that we are already blameless because of what Jesus did. So, what he's saying is, you will be kept blameless. Your body, your mind, and your soul will be completely kept, kept, kept blameless. I want to emphasize that. You are blameless because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I am blameless because of that sacrifice. And why? Because he's faithful. I assure you, God wants to meet with us in these ways through the power of the Holy Spirit that's in each one of us as a Christian. What's the purpose of all this? It's for the common good of the church, like I said earlier, for the edification and the building up of the church to participate with God in the renewal of the saints. When we're built up through these gifts, others outside of the church who may not know Christ, maybe you're in here today and you don't know Christ have a better opportunity to see Jesus, and they're confronted with him in the best way. And the Spirit draws them into a relationship with him. All of this is ultimately to point us to our Savior. A man who showed us all of these things, Jesus did all of these things that I'm talking about. and told us that we could do them too, and that we would participate. I want to land with this. It's John 14, 11 through 12. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. He says that we'll do greater works than he will do. It's unbelievable. He says, for the unbeliever, if you don't believe what I'm speaking to you, trust the works that you see me doing. So for us as believers, we need to be prepared to operate in the power of the Spirit with these gifts that I've talked about because some people are going to hear what we're going to say and they're going to, they're going to reject it. But when we show them, when we show them through the power of these gifts something miraculous that only God can do, we're going to win a few people. So we can't just discredit these things and throw them on the floor. They're important. They win lives for Jesus. And that's ultimately what we're here for, right, is a relationship with God and to reveal people to him. That's why we're here. So I want to encourage you guys. This is a real thing. I want you guys to go before the Lord and ask him, how do you want to gift me? What do you want to use me for in this way? Help me to test and weigh your word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your scripture which details out these gifts, which shows us that these things are a reality for us and that we can do greater things than even you did. And I know that sounds like a lot and it sounds extreme and it sounds super far-fetched, but Lord, we pray with faith that you would do these things and we ask in humility that you would come and you would fill us and that you would empower us. Use us in this way and may we test everything against your word And may we edify and build up one another, ultimately for your sake and for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name.